Well, I want to begin with a, a few announcements here this morning. Um, <clears throat> Avon and I will be gone next week. Just want to inform you of that. We um, are going to go up to Minneapolis and spend time at the Desiring God conference up there. Friday night, it's all day Saturday and Sunday, so we'll leave Friday morning and be back Friday night. As a result, Frank Yonke will be up here preaching next Sunday from 1 Timothy chapter 3. So you can uh, just kind of put that in your mind. I encourage you to come and be involved with that. Also, as a result of that, men's equippers, we're not going to meet this Saturday, but we'll meet uh, next Saturday. Um, in terms of the uh, uh, man-to-man and girl talk, we had a first man-to-man meeting. went very well. Fathers and sons. Fathers have an assignment to talk to their sons and just say, how good a job am I doing? Um, how am I failing? What ways would you like me to do better as a dad? Those are the kind of questions that we're asking our sons. That's our assignment this week and to read through some things. I also gave all of you an assignment this past week to um, ask your spouse or somebody in what ways God sees Humility in you, what say, way God sees pride in you. How many of you had a conversation like that this week? Okay. Let me suggest, if you didn't raise your hand, that is an evidence of pride in your life. Let me just put it that way. All right? So, you may need to be doing some talking this week. I'll just encourage you to do that. Uh, I'm not going to force you, but know that if you say, I don't have any pride in my life, well, if you didn't have any pride, then you wouldn't you would have asked the question. So I would encourage you in that. Um, other, other announcements, you can look there. Uh, flocks, not, not this week, um, but they will take place next week. Well, I invite you, if you haven't done so, to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse this morning. Verse 7. Last week I preached on verses 5-7. through seven. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. The main point, the main theme of these verses is what? Help me out. I felt like I didn't do justice to verse 7. Um, spent only just a little bit of time on it. It's not like I didn't neglect the verse. I think that we looked at the verse in context, showing that it's humility before God, and casting all our anxiety upon Him. In fact, that's one of the the biggest signs away from pride or expression of of humility is to say that I'm not sufficient in myself. The prideful one would say I am sufficient in myself, but the humble would say I'm not sufficient and. And I need your help, O oh God. I'm going to cast my anxiety upon Him. And so by letting it go, giving it to the Lord is a demonstration of your humility. And in very many ways, a short treatment of verse 7 is appropriate. Because if you look there in your Bibles, it is a continuation of verse 6. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I mean, verse 7 isn't even a full sentence. For those of you who are in grammar class, you know that casting your anxiety upon Him isn't a full sentence. I know that some of you at the NIV are looking at that and says, no, that looks like a full sentence to me. Well, the NIV doesn't show the Greek grammar in this case. It gets the thrust of it right, cast all your anxieties on Him, but the Greek grammar has it as a, as a participle. It's 
casting all your cares on Him. So show your humility, right? God's opposed to proud, gives grace to the humble, right? Casting all our anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. So if there's anything I've always wanted to do in my preaching is this, is to major on the major and minors on the minors. And if it's a subordinate thought, I don't want to major on that subordinate thought, which is what verse 7 is. However, I do think that this issue of anxiety is good for us to look at today. To slow down and preach upon a dependent clause because of the prominence of anxiety in our culture today. I did a little bit of research out there on the web and I found that the National Institute of Health published a report that demonstrates how many people in this world are affected by anxiety. Physicians study this. People study this. And they found that 6.8 million Americans have this disorder called generalized anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety disorder. And I said, what is that? Well, here's what it is. People who experience this, suffer from this, have an unrealistic or excessive worry about a number of events or activities for at least six months. Excessive worry for six months. 6.8 million Americans. This report also indicated there are about 6 million American adults who suffer from panic disorder. You say, what's panic disorder? Well, here's what it is. It's an intense, terrifying fear similar to that caused by life-threatening danger. The unexpected panic attacks are followed by at least one month of persistent concern about having another panic attack. These things kind of like snowball on themselves. Not only do you have these attacks, but you're worried about having these attacks. And then you're worried about being worried about, being worried about having these attacks. And it goes on and on and on. And, and uh, worried about the consequence of these attacks also, National Institute of Health said that there are 15 million Americans who have social anxiety disorder. The problem with an overwhelming anxiety of excessive self-consciousness in everyday situations. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I didn't even know these or- disorders existed <laughs> before this week. Have you heard of these things at all? Some of you have? Wow. Wow. A lot more than I expected. I didn't hear it. But there are more. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Recurrent unwanted thoughts or obsessions, repeated behaviors and compulsions, like repeated behaviors like hand washing, counting, checking, or cleaning are often performed the hope of preventing obsessive thoughts and making them go away, just anxious thoughts. Another one, post-traumatic stress disorder, an anxiety that can develop after exposure to a terrifying event or ordeal which gave physical harm, was either occurred or was threatened. Right? And when you add up all these disorders you find out that uh, more than 40 million adults suffer from this in America. And furthermore, one of every four people in America will suffer from such a disorder at some point in their lives. Now, the Bible mentions none of these by name, alright? But, it does have a name for all of them. Do you know what the name of it is? Sin. It's the name of all these disorders. Our community, our society today likes to lessen the impact, calls them disorder. We could easily call them generalized anxiety sin, call them panic sin, social anxiety sin, obsessive compulsive sin, post-traumatic stress sin. See, scientists and doctors may call them disorders, but a rose by a rose, a rose by any other name is still a rose. And all these things by any other name is still sin. 
It's wrong. It ought not to characterize the people of God. Listen, over and over and over again, the Bible calls us not to be anxious. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said four times, do not be worried, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Isaiah 41, do not fear, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Isaiah 35.4 Say to those with an anxious heart, Take courage and fear not. Philippians 4.6 Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, anytime we're anxious, we're in sin. Anytime we worry, we're in sin. And I know how easy it is to sin in this way, and I know how pervasive it is among Christians. It is so pervasive that uh, Jerry Bridges has listed and identified the sin of anxiety as one of those respectable sins, one of those sins that we more or less just accept in the church of God today. Those sins so common among us that we believe that it's okay to have that. But it's not. It is sin. So as this morning as we shared in our prayer meeting about the things we're anxious about, we're sharing our sins, confessing our sins to one another. That's what we're doing. We must, as Christians, come to hate all sin. We must come to battle against every sin that we encounter. Now, just because it's prominent doesn't mean it's acceptable. I mean, last week I spoke about the prominence of pride. I mean, pride is in all of us, and I think anxiety is in all of us and me as well. I see more anxiety in me than I see in any one of you because I see my heart more deeply in many ways than I can see your heart. And for this reason, I want to spend an entire Sunday focused upon this subject of anxiety. Think about how many things there are to worry about. Just, just share them. What are, what are things we can worry about? Anybody? Yes, Andrew. School, absolutely. All you kids. You got worried about school. What else? Nathan. General sin, yeah. Worried about your sin. What else? We worry about, yes. Virginia. Health, absolutely. What else? Driving. Striving, yeah. Driving the car. We can be anxious about that as well. What others do we have? Come on, now just flow off your lips of all the different categories. What, Ruben? Mortgage. Mortgage. What, Andy? Mortgage says the same thing. What? Yes, Preston. Job applications. What else? Relationships. What else? Work. Work. You stop there? What? Politics. Politics. It just goes on and on and on from family to finances to health, tragedies. What if I get in a plane crash? You know, there are some who won't fly because they're scared of dying in that. What if my house loses in a tornado? Family, they worry about children. Will our children ever get married? Will I ever get married? Some of you are concerned about that. My children, will they run with the wrong crowd? Will I have enough money to pay the bills this month? What about retirement? My health. How am I going to die? Am I going to get Alzheimer's when I grow old? If I grow old. I mean, all these things we can worry about. And, And all these things we've mentioned, I'm telling you, they're just the tip of the iceberg and maybe I hit some of them for you, and I think many of us have unique worries about which none of us know nothing about. But like I mentioned, I emailed out my weekly word this week. Worry is like a, what did it say? A rocking chair. 
It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. That's what worry is. Worry will help you keep your job. Worry, I'm sorry, worry won't help you keep your job, but diligence and hard work and trust in the Lord will help you persevere through job difficulties. Worry won't help you have enough money at the end of the month, but hard work and tight budgeting and trusting in the Lord's blessing will help you have enough at the end of the month. Worry won't help you to get married in the future, but walking with the Lord will help you. Trusting in the Lord will help you. Worry won't help your children if they're not right, but setting a good example before them, pleading with the Lord to shepherd their hearts will help in that day. In the end, worry and anxiety, listen, they won't change things. They won't. For that reason, God calls us not to worry. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 6.27, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? You know, in fact, if the truth is known, you will remove hours from your life if you worry. Anxiety causes all types of physical problems, high blood pressure, ulcers, anorexia, bulimia, insomnia, heart attacks, and yes, even early death. So it's important to overcome our anxiety, not only for our physical health, but also for our spiritual health. I would recommend, if we think of anxiety right off, to do everything you can to reduce your anxiety. Because much anxiety is caused because of a lack of planning. How many of you are late for some event, so you rush out the door, you get in your car, and you've got to drive really fast, you're looking at your watch trying to get there? That's poor planning, right? I know we've, we've been that. My wife was commenting this week about she had to take the kids someplace, and they left like ten minutes early. And she said, it was amazing. We just kind of drove our car, you know, didn't have to push the speed limit, just kind of drove, whatever. Hit a red light, er, okay, not a problem. And, and just a little bit of planning, leaving a little bit early, reduce the stress, reduce the anxiety, reduce the worry. And I would encourage you to do everything you can to reduce your worry. Plan ahead. Much anxiety is caused by failure to plan. If you pl- fail to... If you plan ahead, budget tightly, save for the future, there's less anxiety for your older years. If you plan your meals, my wife has recently done this. She's got a schedule with uh, Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Week one, week two, week three, week four. We got 28 meals that are family-like. She consulted us on this. And now she said, it is amazing, Steve, the kind of burden that's lifted off my... It's no longer, what are we going to have to eat tonight? And she's like, well, it's today. It's week two on Thursday. We're going to have, boom, that's what we're going to have. A little planning ahead, a little foresight might help you with that. Right. Students, Andrew, SR, Carissa, whoever else is there, Jared, if you plan a little bit ahead with your schoolwork, there's less anxiety for the homework that's due on Monday. And this one's for me, okay? Steve, Steve, plan a little bit better in the week so that Saturday night is not so anxiety-filled. That's where I struggle. It would be very helpful for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that counsel and saying that I, I need help with that. Now, those in the world have several options available to conquer anxiety. <clears throat> the National Institute of, Men- of Mental Health says that medication options are available. Papa Bill, anxiety is reduced. Right? That's helpful. They even suggest that psychotherapy might be a help. 
But I tell you, here, I've got a little surprise for us here. This is my favorite counsel and advice that the world has to offer. And I, I, want, us to, I want us to try this, okay? So in order to try this, you've got to stand up with me, okay? Everyone, stand up. Let's see if I can get this thing going here. Hang on. Yeah, maybe, maybe this is going, okay? This is the world, alright? I'm sorry. Yo, what's wrong? Come on, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta dance here a little bit with me. Come on. We've never danced in church before. We're gonna dance today, alright? Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Come on. It only works if you can. Swing around like this a little bit. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. You can't make your mortgage. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. <laughs> be happy. Look at me, I'm happy. Don't worry. So it's okay to dance in church. Now, let, let me ask you, does it work? You know what? It, it, works, it works for about four minutes, right? Because as I was looking out there, I, uh, you, the smiles on your faces were abundant and many. Now, some of you didn't get into it. Okay, some of you are like, it's okay. Is it okay to dance in church? Is this? But some of you were like, "You're getting it. This is. You were happy. Your anxieties were like gone. They evict me. Oh, c'est la vie. Whatever. Que sera, sera. I'm, I'm happy, right? But it's only going to work for four minutes. You can't go around singing that song all the time. The batteries of your iPod are going to die some point. You're not going to be able to do it. But I have good news for you." that there is a divine remedy for anxiety. It's found in chapter 5, verse 7. My message this morning has two points. I want to share them both with you, initial. Um, First point, say your prayers. Second point, know He cares. Say your prayers, know He cares. Am I anxious? What do I need to do? Say my prayers and know that He cares. I trust you can see these derived right here from from this passage. First, say your prayers. Casting all your anxiety on Him. 
the picture here is Peter's giving is of, of taking something in your arms and, and throwing it from you. Like uh, maybe a, a farmer baling hay, throwing it up into the barn, just kind of taking it and saying, God, I'm just casting my, my hay, my worries up there into heaven. There they are. Or the garbage man who takes up that, that trash, which this is a great illustration. A garbage man takes the trash of all of our worries and all our thoughts and just dumps it into the dump truck, puts it down, you're all empty, and the dump truck just goes away. This is like a, a man digging in a, digging in a hole. Just say, oh, i got worries down here. I'm digging them up and looking them up on top of the hole. These are my worries. I'm taking them and I'm casting them away. It's a, it's a throwing word. It is a, is a pitching word. It is a casting word. It's not so much you just take your worries and you set them here. It's that you're taking them and you're, you're getting some distance between them and you. You're just taking them and heaving them. You're throwing them. Get them away from us. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about taking a load off of our back. Right? Maybe you got this salt on your back. You're carrying downstairs your water salt. And you just and get it away. That's what he's talking about. Take it off your back. And how can you do this but to pray? You can't do it. In fact, that's the only way to handle these situations. God, I'm concerned about my job. This economy is difficult and they've had some layoffs here at work and I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to make it through these cuts. God, I pray that You would take my anxieties and my worries and take them upon Yourself. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to, I want to be concerned about these things any longer. I promise, O oh Lord, I will work hard at my job. I'll prepare myself for, for the day where I do get cut and I do lose my job. And I will be active about that. But I don't want to be anxious about it anymore. God, it doesn't do me any good. I cast it upon You. That's the kind of prayer you need to pray. Or you say, Father, I'm anxious about my son. He's going off to college soon. I'm worried about the choice he's going to make in life. I've told him the way he should go. I've modeled before him the way that he should go. Told him of your love. Told him of the Gospel. Yet I'm worried he'll slack in his studies. God, I'm worried that he won't involve himself in a good church. He'll be with the wrong crowd. These are too much for me to bear. God, be, be merciful to me. Shepherd his heart. Show mercy my son. And take that. Just Cast it upon the Lord. Like garbage that's in your, your life. Just give it to Him and it's no longer on you. That's what I mean by saying your prayers. I, I tried to find some other way to say it, but nothing else rhymed with cares so well. You know? so it's, not, it's not like you're just going to mumble all your prayers, okay? but it is that you're going to admit your anxiety, admit your faults, bring it unto the Lord, give it unto Him. Now, there may be some more things that come along with casting your anxiety upon Him, but there won't be less. Alright? So saying your prayers, casting it upon Him. But there might be some strategic ways to maybe even do something physical to help you. I read a part of a book this week written by Linda Dillow. She wrote a, a book called Calm My Anxious Thought. Had a great thought, great chunk of thoughts about anxiety. And so she shared one of the things that she does about her anxiety. She says this, she has heart-shaped and tied with a ribbon is my anxiety box on the bookcase above my desk. If I shake it, I can hear the piece of paper rattling inside. When anxiety takes over my mind, I take out a small piece of paper and write out what's causing my anxiety. I date the paper and I put it in my anxiety box. As I untie the ribbon, open the lid, I pray, God, I'm giving you this worry that's tearing me apart. 
So I place it in the box. I'm saying to you that it's yours. I give it to you. You can deal with it much better than I can. She says, I close the box, retie the ribbon, and thank God that my worry is now His. Every time I see the box stuffed with my worries, I'm reminded that God is carrying them, not me. Once or twice a year, I open my box and read through the worries. And I thank God for the ones He has taken care of. And the others I put back in the heart-shaped box and entrust them to His timing. What what an excellent suggestion. Physical way to cast your anxiety upon the Lord. See, when you unload your cares and concerns to the Lord, they're done. You no longer have to worry about them again. Should concerns creep back into your life? Like you throw a hay bale up into the barn and it's kind of teetering a little bit and it comes back in, right? You pick it up and you throw it back in or you put your garbage in the garbage truck and as it's going along the way, some of the wind rustles some of the garbage out and there's some of there. You pick it up and put it back in the garbage truck, right? Or you're shoveling this hole and some of the dirt falls down, right? You just you take it and you just scoop it back up again. So when it comes back in, push it back. Paul addressed the issue of anxiety. When he says how we should never be concerned about these things again, he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. <laughs> Look at that. Don't be anxious, but pray, pray, pray. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So give it to Him. Pray to Him. So don't be anxious about anything, but pray. And notice also how exhausted Paul is. He says, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. There is nothing for us we should be anxious about. It was Peter's message, casting all your anxiety upon Him. Look at there, verse 7. It's not casting most of your anxiety upon Him. It's casting every single anxiety upon Him. That's why I could name all those disorders as sin. Anything that has anxiety associated with it is sin. All worries, whether they're big or small, whether they are near or far away, whether they are real or perceived, whether they are significant or insignificant, whether they are solvable or unsolvable, whether they are just personal with you or they deal with your family or a corporate setting, whether they are future, whether they are past, whether they are in your control or out of your control, all anxiety is to be laid up upon the Lord. When you're anxious, you've got to take that burden off your shoulder and give it to God. Now, those of you with small children, you know what that's about. You're out, you're taking a walk with your child, and the child's maybe got a backpack on them, carrying some water bottles or carrying something else, and pretty soon what happens to them with the backpack? Oh, it gets too heavy for them, and so what do they do? Hey, Dad, can you carry the backpack? And you said, sure. Because you, being big and strong, bigger than your son or daughter, can take that backpack. You can bear that burden. And so also God, He can bear that burden. He's a lot bigger than us. So give your burden to the Lord. Psalm 55 verse 22 says this, Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Throw your burdens on His back. He will care for you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. What an incredible promise. God says, cast your burden upon me. 
I will care for you. Think about it. When is it that you're most susceptible to be shaken? It's when the weight is bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Suppose you take a, a barbell set, 100 pounds, and you, you hoist it up and put it on your back like this, right? How long could you hold that there? 100 pounds. Andrew, how long could you hold that there? Not very long, all right? Right? But if you're bigger and stronger, like uh, who's, who's big and strong, like Darren Weeby in his Wheaton days, you could, you could hold your, your barbell up here, and you could probably hold it for maybe five minutes, ten minutes, but after 20 minutes or an hour, your legs start shaking and you start falling down. But he says, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will never suffer the righteous to be shaken. So you give it to Him. Because He can hold the barbell. I mean, think about how powerful God is. We saw last week, verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God. It's a picture of His strength. God is the one who can bear your burdens. In fact, He can bear your burdens. He can bear my burdens. He can can bear all of our burdens. He can bear everyone's burdens upon His back. And it's as if they are a feather for Him. It's the truth. The, The power of God ought to give you reason to cast your anxiety upon Him. Stories told of a man named Bulstrode Whitlock. I'd never heard of this man until I looked and studied this week, but he lived in the 1600s. Involved in politics as England. He was part of the House of Commons. At one point, he experienced anxiety about the nation. Charles I had just been executed. They executed the king. It's like executing President Bush. The army and the government were at odds with each other. <clears throat> so he had a renegade army, the government... Tensions between their disagreement religiously, Presbyterian independence, just political turmoil all over. And one night he was pacing about his room, unable to sleep, and his discerning servant said this. He said, pray, sir, will you give me leave to ask you a question? Certainly, Whitlock replied. Pray, sir, do you, do you not think that God governed the world very well before you came into it? Undoubtedly, he replied, And pray, sir, do you not think that he will govern it quite well when we are gone out of it? Well, certainly, Whitlock replied. Then, sir, pray, excuse me, but do you not think that you may trust him to govern it quite as well as long as you live? Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? The power of God. He he governed things well before us. He governed things well after us. Why do we worry so when we are in the midst of it? It's a perspective of the power of God. So what his servant was pointing him to, he's pointing him to the power of God. If God is able to create a universe whose distances are far beyond even your ability to grasp and to understand, do you think he is powerful to govern the affairs of this tiny little speck in the universe? I think so. And if God can create a world in this earth with such delicate balance of temperatures and, and tides and, and rotations and plants and animals all living in dependence and all living perfectly together, do you think God can't affair, govern the affairs of the earth? He certainly can. And, and if God is, can change a, a hardened heart to open eyes that are blind and to make people who aren't seeking Him to seek Him and to turn people around from their wicked ways to cause Him to look to Him. Can He not 
turn the hearts of men wherever He wishes? That's the thrust of my arguments in the sermon series I preach the power of God. The power of God in the stars, the power of God in the earth, the power of God in our hearts. And these things ought to bring great comfort into our souls. So we think about the power of God that should cause us to lessen our anxiety. But it is interesting here in verse 7, as beneficial as that is, Peter doesn't argue the sovereignty of God. Rather, he argues the goodness of God. That's my second point here, right? Not only should you say your prayers, you should also know He cares. Look at it there. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. He will help us. He will care for us. The righteous will never be shaken. See, God isn't in heaven saying this. Steve, your problems? You're throwing them up here? No thanks. Why'd you throw them up here? I'll give them back to you. Nope. He's not playing hot potato with our cares and concerns. He's saying, I don't want that. Why are you burdening me with that? You ever had a conversation with a friend who is telling you about some things, hard things in their life, and they're burdening you with stuff, and you're kind of thinking, I mean, you're smiling and saying, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. You know, sympathizing with them, but in your heart of hearts, you're saying, why? Are you giving them to me? I don't need more burdens in my life. God's not like that. God's saying, bring them on. Bring them on. I'll take them. I will gladly have them. I know that you are a frail being. I know that you are of dust. I know that carrying around these things isn't good for your souls. In fact, I gave them to you so you'd realize that, so you'd give them back to me. It's our God. He helps us. He cares for us. He saves us from our sin. God is a care for His children who place their faith and hope in Christ. And here's the promise of 1 Peter, written to Christians, written to those who have placed their faith in Christ, is that God has a relationship with us where He cares for us. I mean, just think of the way that God has shown care for you. He's given you life, food, clothing, shelter. Listen, He gives that to most people in the world. But... If you believe and trust in Christ, He's given you far more than that. He's given you salvation. He's granted you forgiveness of sins. He's given you Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He's given you, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given you everything you need to walk rightly before the Lord. It's in Christ Jesus. And that's His care for you. His love for you. Now here in America, it's interesting that we are so inundated with our with our history and just with the theology where we are as a nation, just a whole inundation that God loves you, right? It's wonderful that we have such a, a God who cares for us. And it just, oh, of course God. In fact, I remember meeting with a guy one time who'd come to church for the first time and I followed up with him and talked to him and he said, well, of course God loves me. That's his job, to love me. Like, I think you've missed it a little bit. You have, you've, you've, you've caught this American culture of just, oh yeah, God loves me and that's just kind of how it is. But hear it afresh. For the first time, from a, a Hindu man, I've been reading this book to our family, written by Thomas Hale, who served as wife of medical missionaries to Nepal. And this past Thursday, we're reading about a man named Kamal. Thomas Hale writes about this man. He says he was a son of a Brahmin priest who had received the necessary education to prepare him to follow in his father's steps to be a priest as well. The medium of his instruction was Sanskrit, the ancient classical language of the Indian subcontinent. For some time, he carried out the duties of a Hindu priest under his father's watchful eye. It's a Brahmin priest in training. 
But even as the major tenets of Hinduism were being inculcated in Kamal's mind, he became increasingly troubled by what he learned. In particular, he was disturbed by the fact that the Hindu gods and their incarnations came mainly to punish and destroy, and that their own lives were full of sin and treachery. And he asked himself, if all these gods are unholy, who will help me to be holy? If all came to destroy, who will save? Thomas Hale went on to say that at one point Kamal was given a Bible. He started reading it. started reading about things that Jesus says. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he was surprised. He said, I had always been taught to seek out my enemies and destroy them. This teaching was the opposite. And then by the time he worked through Matthew, he got to Matthew 18, verse 11. The Son of Man has come to save what was lost. Hale writes, in a flash, Kamal realized that this was the God who came to save sinners and not destroy them, and that this is the God he must follow. And Kamal then said, From that day on, I I accepted Christ as God, determined to obey Him, and I stopped worshiping idols and threw away my holy thread. Turned away from his ways of gods who, who hate him and have vindictiveness against him and turned to a God who cares. That was one who attracted Something attracted Kamal to God. See, God isn't the one who seeks to destroy you. He's a God who loves us and saves us and really cares for us. We ought to marvel at God's care for us. We ought to really marvel that God wants to take our burdens. And He gets joy. He'll gladly help us. It's a difference in calling somebody who doesn't really want to help you imposing your will on somebody, but if somebody really wants to help you, it's not a problem. That's what God is. God really wants to help us. This was Jesus' point, exactly. So, we're going to launch here from 1 Peter 5, but I want you to show how these themes work. uh, Matthew chapter 6. So, turn turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. His words are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Over and over, Jesus is telling us not to worry. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Let me just read this for you. Hear what Jesus says. Matthew 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, as to what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. But they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can end a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about his clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you, O oh, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. You know, people often think that um, that when you're anxious about something, it's because you're thinking too much about it. That you're thinking too much is your problem. 
And how many of us know what it's like to have difficulty sleeping at night because there's too much on our minds? Do you know that at all? I know that. Several times in my life, several periods of my life, <coughs> going to sleep, things spin around in my mind, a difficult meeting the next day perhaps, or hoping that something would take place, or anticipating some kind of um, encounter. What will I say? What will I do? <laughs> perhaps not, I'm not ready for my sermon and kind of trying to get more thoughts as I'm going to sleep. You know, thinking all about all this stuff and when my mind is racing, I can't seem to stop it, and so sleep eludes me. And at such times, it's easy to say that my worry is caused because I'm thinking too much. On the one hand, that's true. On the other hand, you know what? It's not true. In actuality, my worry is caused because I'm not thinking enough. You say, Steve, what are you, what are you talking about? Here it is. I'm not thinking enough about God's wonderful care for me. I'm thinking too much about the stuff and the problems and thinking not enough about God's care for me. I'm letting the troubles and the trials consume my mind, but Jesus says, don't worry about that. Think about God who cares for you. See, when you're worried, you need to start focusing your mind upon God's care. Think about how He cares for you. Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. That's where I got the thought of this. He says, The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by somebody else or something else. Trials. And as we put it, he goes round and round in circles. This is the essence of the way. That's the essence of worry. That's not thought. That's the absence of thought. It's the failure to think. So the, uh, I'm just going to let the things come and they're going to dictate what I'm going to think about. But Jesus says, no, you need to think about right things. Right? Sermon on the Mount, He says, you need to think about the care of God. I mean, verse 26, look at the sparrows. Look at the birds of the air. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So God says, think about the birds out there. I haven't seen a bird driving a combine in recent days. I haven't seen a bird upon a tractor. I haven't seen a bird planting seeds. Any seeds we lay out, the birds come and they eat them up. I've never seen <clears throat> birds store up for the future in barns. Do they ever lack? Never. Your Heavenly Father cares for them and feeds them. And listen, are you not worth much more than the birds? You are. So think about, God, how are you going to provide for me? <laughs> Don't worry about all these things. Say, God, you provide for the sparrows. Certainly you provide for me. I trust you with these things. Go about and walk diligently. 28, verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? <laughs> Jesus told us to think long and hard about the, the clover, the prairie grass. 
the wildflowers. We look about out, you know, you, you look at these fields that aren't, or by the edge of the fields even, those that aren't specifically planted and they're growing beautiful flowers and growing beautiful plants. And, and I have yet to see a flower plant with a sewing machine. I've yet to see a flower plant go to Joanne Fabric. I've yet to see a flower plant say, oh, it's, it's not rained in a while. I need to get up and I need to go over here to this river and take me a drink and then I can come back. I've yet to see a plant do that. And yet they're beautiful. They are more beautiful than the apparel of the most majestic of kings. These flowers will perish. By November, they'll be shriveled up and brown, cast into the furnace. But God, who decreed us to live 70 or 80 years and live eternally, will He not clothe us with these? He clothes the flowers. He will help us. See, our anxiety isn't caused because we think too much. It's because we're thinking too much about the wrong things and we're thinking too little about the right things. So think about prairie grass. Wildflower. Look at verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The Gentiles, those apart from God, eagerly seek and worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink. That's why they're so wrapped up in politics. That's why they're so wrapped up in their economy. That's why they're so wrapped up in money. Because they don't have a heavenly Father who's caring for them like we have. They have every reason to worry in many ways, but we have a Heavenly Father who knows these things. See, they worry about the economy. They worry about the future. They worry about income. But Jesus says, your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things. And the implication is this. If God knows all these things, and He is such a caring God who cares for sparrows and wildflowers, certainly He knows your need and will come and help as is appropriate in His timing. Worry isn't going to help. Hope you see here, Matthew 7, 6, that, that Jesus' whole argument here hinges on the, the care of God and you need to know that He cares for you. So what should we do? Verse 33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I think it's a little bit like casting your cares. Right? Don't seek the food. Don't seek the clothing. Don't seek the anxiety but rather seek first the kingdom of God, right? Cast all your anxiety upon Him. Give it to Him. Seek Him. Seek His kingdom. Say your prayers and know He, know he cares. Well, i got one last passage I want us to consider here this morning. Psalm 139. I read it earlier in the service, so I don't need to read it now. But Psalm 139 argues the exact same way. David here is rehearsing his great, the great care of God for his life again and again and again. just goes overboard. I mean, there's not a passage in the Bible more explicit than his care that God has for us in this passage. He knows everything about us. Verses 1 through 6. He knows, verse 2, when we sit down and when we rise up. He understands, this is fair, he understands our thought from afar. Your wife or husband doesn't understand your thought all the time. But God understands it from afar. He knows all about all of our ways. Verse 3, second half it says that. <laughs> he knows what we will say. 
4. He knows what you're going to say this afternoon. He knows how you'll critique my sermon. He'll know how you scold your spouse. He'll know how you'll yell at your kids. He knows all those things about you. We can't escape His presence. Verse 7 through 9. It doesn't matter where we go. As high as we go, as low as we go, take the wings of the dawn to the east, dwell in the remotest part of the sea to the west, wherever we are, God is going to be there. We can't get away from Him. Wherever we are, He will lead us. <laughs> Though we try to run from Him, He's actually leading us. Doesn't matter whether it's dark or whether it's light. You know, those who drunk get drunk get drunk at night. College parties are always late at night. Why? Because they think there's not much to see, but God sees what's taking place. People stand in the dark places. There's no one around. God sees. He knows. And even there, the thrust here of verse 11 and 12, though, is not the convicting power of God. It is the comforting. Even when you're dark, it's dark and you're scared and you're lost and you don't know what's right, God still cares for you. He carefully created us. Verse 13. It's amazing what God does in the womb. It's amazing. God sees even in the womb before we took our first breath. Verse 15. Verse 16. He's ordained our days. He's fixed the day of our birth and He's fixed the day of our death. If God has a day of our death fixed, why do we worry about it so much? all in His care. Bottom line of all these verses is this, is God cares for us. And then comes the issue in David's life. 19 through 22. He's got some trouble. Enemies all around him. They're rising up against David, verse 19. They're rising up against the Lord, verse 20. And David prays for their destruction. I mean, these guys are coming upon David so bad, he's saying, God, they're, they're about to swallow me. I'm standing for you, God, and I know that you care of me, so destroy them so as to care for me. That's what he's saying. Things are really bad. Enemies coming to destroy him. Then David closes by a, a request to reveal and remove his anxious thoughts. Search me, O God, verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, where I am anxious about these things, where we've got some warriors coming up against me with chariots and arrows and swords and spears and clubs. They're coming up to Jerusalem. They're coming up against us. He has every reason to be anxious. It says, God, if there's any anxious thought in me, lead me in the everlasting way. I hope you see how David is saying his prayers and, and knowing that he cares. I mean, that is Psalm 139. What is interesting here also, though, how much time David spends on rehashing and rehearses, rehearsing God's great care for him. Why do you think he spends so much time talking about God's omniscience and His omnipresence and His care for David? 
I think it's because trusting God's care doesn't come naturally for us. I don't think it came naturally for David. I don't think it comes naturally to us. It's something we need to work at. And I believe David, as he was writing these things out, things that are true about just the the greatness and sovereignty and majesty and power of God, I think what he's doing is convincing himself. Because just doing like, like, like Jesus suggested, God, you care for me, and you care for me in these ways. And I'm just listing them down. I'm writing, just showing what's true, writing it down, working really hard. Why do you think there are so many in this world who suffer from all these anxiety disorders? Because it's easy. It's where we are prone to, as one man said in a message I heard. We are anxiety-producing machines. We, the human race, are. We just produce anxiety. We don't have to work hard to concern ourselves with the many things that might go wrong in our lives or that are going wrong, but we do need to work hard to convince ourselves of the care and love that God has for us. But that's faith, right? It's the life we're called to. Believing and entrusting ourselves to a loving Father. So I simply end with a question. How you want to overcome anxiety? Work hard. Casting your anxiety upon Him and work hard at knowing that He cares for us. Read the Scripture. Convince yourself. Because how easy it is to just let those things slip and let the things of the world consume us. That chorus is great, right? You turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. What happens to the things of earth? They grow strangely dim. Because when we look upon Him and see His glory, see His power, see His greatness, see His love, see His care, how easy then do the things of earth get put in perspective? And I say you need to work hard at it. You're not going to overcome anxiety just by letting it pass. Just like you're not going to overcome your pride without working on it, you're not going to be able to overcome your humility by just letting it go. Well, it'll work itself out. No, you're going to keep worrying and worrying and worrying and worrying. You need to work hard. Convince yourself of God and what's true of Him. All right. Well, let's pray and we're going to sing, Seek ye first what we ought to do. And then you'll be dismissed. Lord, I would pray that You would help us this day to work hard, to convince ourselves about what we know is true, what we believe is true. Oh God, we believe. Help our unbelief. So I pray You'd help us in these things. Uh, I would pray that You would, God, in Your grace, allow all anxiety to flee from us. Lord, how we need that. So we merely entrust You with that. I pray that You would help us overcome these things. It's only Your power that will do that. And we do trust you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.